0: Hey, welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm lead pastor. We're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching and listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, go to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thanks, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed. We are almost at the halfway point in the book of Daniel. We'll be in chapter five today. We started this journey at the start of the year with Daniel chapter one. And we learned that when the culture shifts, we need to be firmly rooted in our faith. And in Daniel chapter 2, we saw that God's powerful and He's wise and He has a kingdom which the rule will never end, right? God's kingdom will will continue for eternity. And then we split Daniel 3 into two parts. Part 1, we saw the battle over worship and we learned that God's motivation for worship always love. The enemy's is always fear. And then in part two, we had three takeaways from the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We we, uh, trust God's will, recognize that he might save us in the fire instead of from the fire, and then just avoid the idolatry itself. And then last week, we wrapped up Daniel 4 in the insanity of pride, learning that we need to exalt God, acknowledge his ways are best, and walk and humility. There are a few things we need to walk through though as we turn the page to Daniel chapter 5. So there's a major time jump that's going to take place. Nebuchadnezzar is at the end of his life in Daniel chapter 4. He's completely out of the picture in Daniel chapter 5. He's like 23 years out of the picture. <laughs> it's been 23 years since he's died. And Babylon's undergone a lot of change. So the once mighty Babylonian empire is on the cusp of being conquered by the Persians. And we'll talk more about the Persian empire starting next week when we get to our, our study in Daniel kind of towards the second half there. A number of different kings, though, will have ascended to the throne in that 23-year time span. Evil Merodach, whom we read about at the end of second. Kings 25. He's the direct successor to Nebuchadnezzar, but his reign is cut short uh, at at two years. There's a coup that results in his execution. We then go through a series of kings and coups until we get to a guy named Belshazzar. Now, it was thought for a long time that Belshazzar didn't exist because very few records contained any information about him, and none of them referred to him as a king outside of this text here in Daniel. But Numerous cuneiforms and artifacts were discovered in the last couple hundred years, going back to the 19th century, that revealed that Belshazzar did exist, and his story lines actually up with the the story in Daniel chapter 5 that we're going to see here today. So, Belshazzar leads his own coup of sorts, and instead of deposing his father as king, he actually forces him to relocate to a Babylonian stronghold in Saudi Arabia. Belshazzar then rules as the acting king, but all the decrees and records list his father's name, because no abdication actually had taken place. And I'm going to show you a clue in the story today, which actually backs this up. So the story, the setup in Daniel 5, it actually mirrors Daniel chapter 4. There's two Babylonian kings who encounter God. Both are called out for their arrogance and pride. Both require Daniel to interpret God's impending judgment. But only one of them, this is Nebuchadnezzar, actually shows real redemption. And like Daniel chapter 4, the warnings given to the ruler, well, they can also serve as warnings for us as well. Well, Second Daniel chapter five. We'll start with verse number one. Many years later, King Belshazzar gave a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. And while Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver cups that his predecessor Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to drink from them with his nobles and his wives and his concubines, and so they brought these gold cups taken from the temple the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines, they all drank from them as well. And while they drank from them, they praised their idols made of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Let me stop there for a minute because what's happening in the opening verses, particularly in the last couple of sentences, really sets up the entire story that's going to take place. So you need to know that Belshazzar didn't bring out these cups from the temple because, you know, he kind of ran out of his own and needed extras. Okay. Uh, His actions are intentional. Not even Nebuchadnezzar had the gall to take what was deemed sacred and sacrilegiously use them for his own purposes. Part of that was the belief that, you know, other deities worshipped in different cultures, they should be respected. So the Persians and Babylonians never wanted to upset someone else's gods. But in the case of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he had enough encounters with God to know it was the Lord who was the most powerful of the gods, and he did not mess with him. Gotta remember, Babylonians are polytheists here, okay? So it's bad enough that Belshazzar goes a step further than Nebuchadnezzar and he uses the sacred objects in a very sacrilegious kind of way. But he doesn't stop there. He actually keeps going. And so he goes further, digs a, digs a hole it's even deeper. He uses them to toast to his gods. And he's spitting really in God's face here. He's laughing while doing it. And this is the last straw for God. And now the question is, why? Like, Why did he do all of this? Well, we don't really know for certain, okay? But there does appear to be a couple of different reasons. One, one has to do with the huge party that he's he's throwing here to begin with. Otherwise, these sacred cups wouldn't even have come out, right? They wouldn't even have been in use. The Bible doesn't mention this, but the writings of Herodotus inform us that a few days prior to the banquet, the Persians decimated the Babylonian army and that gave them a wide open pathway to Babylon itself. It appears that Belshazzar is trying to either unite all of his officials together for one last military stand. That's what Cyrus did at the beginning of Esther's story that marked the start of his war with, with Greece, okay? Or, he's bringing everybody together to divert their attention away from what is sure to be mass panic and death. So there's, there, there's sort of a eat, drink, be merry for tomorrow tomorrow we die kind of mentality here. Now, all of this is going on, right? And suddenly, this appears, a, a hand. Look like at verse number five. Suddenly they saw the fingers of a human hand riding on the plaster wall of the king's palace near the lampstand. That way everyone could see it. But the king himself saw the hand as it wrote, and his face turned pale with fright, and his knees knocked together in fear, and his legs gave way beneath him. The original Aramaic actually has in mind that he was so scared he actually wet his pants. Like He literally wet his pants at seeing this. So he calls for his advisors to interpret um, what's been written on the wall and he promises to make the person who can interpret the writing the third highest ruler in the entire kingdom. That's in verse number seven. And that's the big clue we have about his, his role. So Belshazzar can't make that person who interprets the writing the second highest ruler because he's the second highest ruler. See, he, he, he has to make them the third. No one can interpret the writing, and it's not because they can't read it. The letters are, are written in almost certainly they're written in Aramaic. So the problem is not the letters, it's actually the words. The words are, are put together almost like a code. And so the Queen Mother hears about all of this, and we read in verses 10 through 12 that she advises Daniel be brought in. Now a couple of things real quick. One, the queen mother is almost certainly Nebuchadnezzar's wife. And we know that she continued to wield a lot of influence in the king's court after Nebuchadnezzar's death. She would have had firsthand knowledge of Daniel and how he served Nebuchadnezzar and, and would have known right away, okay, this is a problem Daniel can solve. Two, <laughs> Belshazzar's not a fan, all right? He does not like Daniel. He doesn't think Daniel has a, a place here at all. In fact, you know, he served his predecessor. He was an exile. So, in fact, when Daniel does arrive, this is how Belshazzar treats him. Look at verse 13. Are you, Daniel, one of the exiles brought from Judah by my predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar? So he reminds Daniel of his place. And then he reminds Daniel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar used you. I don't find you very useful. That's essentially what he's saying here. Two other times, in verses through verses fourteen and sixteen, we read Belshazzar th- say things like, "You know, I've heard or I'm told," to indicate that he doesn't really endorse Daniel and what he's done. So co- contrast that with Nebuchadnezzar, right? Nebuchadnezzar speaks to Daniel in the previous stories we've read with language like, "I know and I see." There's definitely tension here between, you know, Daniel and and Belshazzar. And, And Daniel himself, really, he's about 80 years old at this point, and he feels the same way. And we see that in how he responds in verses 18 through 21. Before he even gives the interpretation of the writing, he reminds Belshazzar about the power and greatness that Nebuchadnezzar's reign had. And that really contrasts with the weakness that Belshazzar exemplifies and the humility that Nebuchadnezzar also showed to the power of God. So after that start, you know, stinging rebuke, okay? He reads the writing on the wall and he interprets it. So look at verse 25. This is the message that was written mean, mean, tekel, and parson. And this is what these words mean mean means numbered. God has numbered your days and brought it to an end. Tekel means weighed, and you've been weighed on the balance and you've not measured up. Parson means divided. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Three words sealing Belshazzar's fate. Three warnings which help us avoid really the, the same here too. So let's start with the first. mean, it's repeated twice for emphasis. And so anytime you see repetition in successive fashion like that in scripture, it means that what's going to follow is certainly going to happen and there's no going back. So here it's already been decided. Belshazzar's time and subsequently Babylon's has come to an end. In his days, they're numbered. And therein lies the first warning really to us. Don't forget your days are numbered. You know, we're living with a a very limited amount of time. And time is that one asset you can't reproduce. You can't grow it. You can't make more of it. You can't replicate it. It is here. It is gone. You know, you ever notice that we tend to squander what we think we have a lot of, and then we use wisely what we tend to think we have a very little amount of. I used to think that 50, man, you might as well start digging your own grave, (laughs) all right? Like your best life's behind you. You got nothing but pain and aches and doctor visits and Myrtle telling you to put those dentures back in. Like that's what I thought 50 was. As a teenager, as as I've gotten older, I've realized that 50s 50s young, 60 I ain't so old, and 70 I can still do a whole lot of stuff at 70. And then having kids only widens that perspective, doesn't it? And you realize too, like how fast time goes and how little time you have on this planet. Your days are numbered. So how are you utilizing the time that you've been given? Now well, here's the catch: we don't know when those days are going to end. We all hope we live long, healthy lives, but it's God who has our end date in mind. Hebrews 9.27 tells us it's appointed for all of us to die and then face our Maker. So you can't escape it, right? You get one life, one chance, one shot at doing this thing right. Not perfect, but doing it right. So take the time to serve the Lord, to love and care for people, to use what God has given you to make a tangible difference in this world. Don't live it up, man. Don't have a carpe diem mentality. Don't live in the kind of pride and arrogance Belshazzar had. Your days are going to come to an end someday. And so spend the time you have now wisely. But here's the second, okay, techo. Belshazzar's life, his actions, his thoughts, his words, his heart, God weighed it all out and he found his life was out of balance. didn't measure up. Now to be fair, like none of us can measure up to God's standards. That's, that's why we need Christ so badly. You know, Only Jesus can make us right with God. But Jesus can't balance your life out for you either. And that's our second warning here. Don't allow your life to get out of balance. If you took an inventory of your life right now, how you spend your time, what you spend your time on, what you believe, what you act on, do you measure up or are you out of balance? Some of you, man, like you're, you're, you're tired all the time. And I'm going to put myself in here with you because, like, I'm dealing with this right now in my own life, all right? Like, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, with, I'm in your shoes. Like, you're tired. You're exhausted. And you're exhausted because you're, you're burning the candle at both ends, you know? You, you aren't getting the sleep you need. You aren't eating how you should eat. You aren't having fun. Like, fun is not for kids. You need to do things which you enjoy that relax and refuel you, man. You're, you're saying yes to everything, and you're not saying no to enough things. You're out of balance. Others of you, man, you're handling life alright, but what's out of balance is your heart. There's not a consistent time of prayer and connection with the Lord in your life. You know, you've got one foot in the door serving and following Christ, one foot out the door living you know, how a world apart from God lives. Maybe you're even cold towards other people. There's no real love for others in your life. And if that's you today, I'm just telling you, man, listen, you're living out of balance. Here's the final one, Parson. The word parson comes from the singular Perez, which refers to Persia. Belshazzar would have the unfortunate honor of being the final ruler of Babylon, whose kingdom would be divided among the Medes and the Persians. And So as a result of having his days numbered and living a life out of balance, everything would be divided and then destroyed. Our third and final warning here today is simply this. Don't ignore the warning signs. When Daniel's rebuking the king in verses 18 through 21, he makes it known that Belshazzar was fully aware of the events in Daniel chapter 4. So he knew about the insanity of Nebuchadnezzar. He knew the king's sanity was restored only when he humbled himself before God. He knew full well how powerful God was, and yet he chose to ignore the lessons and the warnings of his predecessor. Look at verse 22. Daniel says, you are his successor, O Belshazzar, and you knew all of this, yet you've not humbled yourself. So Belshazzar ignored the warning signs. Have you done the same thing? Like what warning signs are flashing in your life right now that you're ignoring? Maybe it's with your marriage or your kids or your finances or your job. And if you continue ignoring these things, you're going to find yourself in a place of division and destruction, just like Belshazzar. Marriages don't end overnight. Finances aren't stripped away instantly. These things all happen slowly over time and then they come all at once. They're warning signs which begin to show up along the way every so often and then consistently until you've ignored the final warning and you've just lost everything. The thing about warning signs is this. They don't include a whole lot of detail about what you don't know, (laughs) right? Like it's hard to warn someone about something they have no knowledge about. What these signs do instead is they focus on what you're not doing. So how do you know you're ignoring warning signs? I'm going to just give you a few indicators real quick here today, okay? Number one, temptation increases and you can't stand against it. The common denominator in every person who has a fall from grace is they were overstretched beyond their limits. They caved to temptation. They ignored the warning signs so much they became numb to them. And if you become numb to warning signs and you can't feel them, you'll run right through them to your own end. Number two, your emotions are inconsistent. You fly off the handle, you get angry, sometimes for no reason. You're angry with your spouse, your kids, just for stupid things. And if you're not angry, you know, in general, like not an angry person, then usually it's a warning sign your body's trying to send to you saying, hey, slow down, get some rest, refocus, right? I got to my own life, like when I begin to get this way, the first thing my wife will do is she'll ask like, what's really going on? And once she draws out that real issue, and I can talk it through, I, I, I get reset, and things are good again. Number three, you're less productive. See? So if you don't honor God's principles, like taking a Sabbath, they're going to flame out. Now Sabbath isn't resting and doing nothing. It's not laziness. It's refocusing your energy. It's, it's a time to to focus on God and family, to slow down. Man, take a break from your job. Go on a walk with your with your spouse. Play with your kids. Eat dinner with no phones. <laughs> yeah, you weren't designed to go 24-7, 365, and that's really gotten worse with the rise of remote work. You've got to slow down. And here's the final indicator. You can't hear God. He's speaking, but you just can't hear Him. It's like finding yourself in a sold-out stadium, 90,000 other people, right? All these voices screaming and yelling and talking, and all you hear is those <laughs> You just hear white noise, right? So perhaps in your life, you've, you've given too many voices, a platform, so much so that you can't even hear God. You just hear white noise, the crowd. Now, if that's you, you got to limit the amount of voices that you'll allow to speak into your life and then find the time in your day, even if it's just 15 minutes to sit in God's presence and listen to him. Don't pray. Don't talk. Just rest. Be still. Know that he's God. Let him speak to you. These are the warnings. Now, now what can you do about them? Well, first, since our days are numbered, we have to live with a sense of urgency. Life is not one big carefree party. So don't waste uh, another minute. Live with the urgency that today might be your last, tomorrow might be your last. Don't wait to encourage someone. Don't wait to pray for him. Don't wait to love another person. Do it all today and do it now. 2 Corinthians 6.2 tells us this, today is the day of salvation. It's not tomorrow. That's not next week when you figure things out. No, it's it's today, right now, because we're not promised tomorrow. And if our lives are out of balance, for ignoring warning signs, hey, remember, put first things first. Start with the most important things in your life first. Because order determines capacity. You tend to assign more energy and focus to the first things so you can handle them on a higher level than all the things below that on your priority list. That means you should take care of the first things first so everything else can be taken care of that follows. And try to be conscious of those first, the first part of the day, first day of the week, first day of the you know, first, first month of the year, right? Be conscious of those types of things as well. The first things have the power to impact all the other things. Jesus gives a big tip on how to do this, by the way, in Matthew chapter 6. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and he'll give you everything, not some things, not a few things, but everything that you need. Belshazzar ignored the warning signs, and he paid a price. Look at this, verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Now we'll talk more about Darius next time. A lot of rabbinical scholars have noted something I think is kind of interesting. They've, they've taken note of Genesis 11. And we see the beginning of Babylon is marked by a confusion of the language. And here in Daniel 5, we see it all come to an end in the exact same manner with the handwriting on the wall. Babylon's time has come to an end. Persia's is now beginning and with it will come the fulfillment of a very important prophecy that Daniel gets to live to see. That's the return of the Jewish exiles back to Israel. We're going to cover more of that as we get into the second half of Daniel here in the coming weeks, but for now I want to draw your attention back to these warnings. How are you spending the limited number of days that you have? Is your life, whether it's a physical, emotional, spiritual, is, is your life out of balance? Are you in danger of ignoring the warning signs and careening towards destruction? My prayer for you today, that you'll learn from this story, that you'll learn from Belshazzar's fate, and live with a sense of urgency that you know, and put God first in your life. We are not promised tomorrow, so make the most of the time that you have today. Let me pray for you. Father, I love you. Thank you for those who are watching and listening right now, wherever they happen to be. Lord, I pray that you would work in every heart and life. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would draw us into a deeper walk with you, into a deeper connection with you. I pray, Lord, that we do not ignore the warning signs that, that are all around us. Lord, I, I pray that we uh, make it a habit to put the first things first. We make it a habit to live with a sense of urgency. I mean, we realize our days are numbered and we should spend the time we have wisely. Spend it, God, doing the, the things that you've asked us to do, loving and serving you, loving and serving other people. Lord, I, I pray that our lives find that balance. That, Lord, if we're out of balance with what we're saying and doing and living, may you bring us back to a place where we reprioritize our life, putting the first things first and and getting back to where we should be. Father, I pray that we don't ignore the warning signs and we slow down and refocus, find that rest in you so that we don't find ourselves sharing the same fate Belshazzar shared with our marriage or finances or relationships or family or careers our, our own personal lives being divided and destroyed may we god have you as first and foremost in our lives and may everything else be added on to that seeking your kingdom first that we do we thank you and praise you for your goodness and your grace and who you are we ask all this in your name amen